I love you all so much. How are you all doing? Great. Listen, we're in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. Let's get into it because this is kind of a, an extensive message insofar as involvement within the church. One of the things we're going to touch upon tonight that Paul will teach us so wonderfully is, is, is the involvement that is needed from us to be people who are a part of what God is doing within the family of God. And you know, it doesn't take, you know, here's the, the deal. I think people get um, intimidated by being involved in a church because they figure it's going to take them a lot of time or a lot of, um, of, of abilities that they don't have. And, and that is so far from the truth. I think within the church, you should be used only to the degree you want to be used. I think you should only be used to the degree that you feel like you're comfortable being used. Here's the hook. I'm telling you, I'll tell you up front. I have an agenda to that. Once you start, you, you won't be able to stop. Once you start serving the Lord in your area of giftedness, whatever gift the Lord has given you to serve the Lord, you won't be able to stop. Just a second ago, I was out there joking with the guys in the back in this foyer. And uh, Dave Perry was, I don't know if he's in here yet. <laughs> and he was all sweaty. And I said, uh, I said, what are you doing all sweaty? He says, oh, I was outside helping traffic. And uh, I said, was it that hot outside? He says, it is when you're dancing. <laughs> now, people have told me before that they come to our church sometimes the first time and they feel comfortable here because of the people that greets them outside, you know, the parking team. Make them feel so at home. And he's one of the reasons. He really does it because of his wife. She is really the ring leader of of that group. She just is marvelous. But that gift that they do for our church, it's priceless. It's priceless. And now, I haven't asked Dave this. Maybe I shouldn't say it out loud, but to ask him not to do it, probably can't do it. I don't know. Can I get you off that team? No. Maybe. <laughs> Probably shouldn't. I should ask first. My point is, is that when we are used of the Lord and we're using in our area of giftedness and you start to serve the Lord, it is a blessing beyond your wildest dream. I just saw him, probably the kingpin of all of that is Dennis Briley. He's shaking his head no. You guys know who Dennis Briley is? Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable man of God. Don't know. Wessel could give testimony of this. We don't know where we'd be without him. And he's just using the gift that God has given him to bless this place. And so that's what Paul is going to kind of lean us towards today. If you remember last week, we were talking about um, the Judaizers, the the men came down from Judea. Look, look at verse 1. I'm not going to go through all that we went through last week. 15th chapter, first verse. We, we talked about this. They came down from Judea. And they began teaching the brethren. And as we learned from last week, they were doing that on their own. They didn't get permission from the, the apostles to, to say what they were saying. And what they were saying was, unless you're circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. So we talked last week about what true salvation truly is. What is salvation? 
Salvation is faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's salvation. And that's what's the process of, of doing in this. But upon that being saved, Paul takes it to another level. He takes it to the level of serving. Watch with me. God has never once saved a person by keeping the law. Do you know why? Because no one has ever kept it apart from Jesus Christ. So Peter asks in verse 10 of this particular chapter, chapter 15 of Acts, why, he says, why do you put God to the test? Why are you testing God? Why, he says, are you placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Jesus called those who were self-righteous religious people who want to tell us what to do but are not willing to do it themselves. He called them hypocrites over and over again in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. I picked out one verse. It says, Jesus says, they tie, verse 4 of Matthew 23, it's up there on the board, but by the time you get there, I'm going to be through sharing it. Just listen. They tie heavy burdens and lay them upon men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So Peter says in verse 10, as we talked last week, admit it. Admit it, he says. You can't keep the law. To find salvation through the law. By keeping the law, you can't do it. So he warns them and us, don't test God. In other words, it's not our place, your place or my place, to challenge or question, to add or to take away from God's terms of salvation. He set it in motion long ago. And it's never varied. It was faith and trust in the Old Testament to the coming Messiah. It is faith and trust in the New Testament of us looking back at the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died for us. It says in the book of Revelation, John writes, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If you add to these words, if you add to them, I will add to you the plagues that are written in this book. And he says in the 19th verse of the 22nd chapter, if you take away from what is written in this book, this book of prophecy, I will take away your part in the tree of life. And so God is very serious. When Peter warns, don't test God, he's saying to you and I that we are to follow what our Lord has for us. And so as we learned last week, God saves on one basis and one basis only. And that is purely faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so Peter closes this message with a ringing affirmation of this truth. He says that salvation is solely by grace. God's unmerited favor. Look at verse 11. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the same way as they, they are the Gentiles, as the same way as they are also. So whether you be a Jew or a Gentile, whether you be a Gentile or a Jew, 
There has always been and there always will be but one way to salvation. That is faith. Faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. That ringing endorsement silenced those that were there. Now I want you to read with me. Look at Acts chapter 15. Read with me. Verse 11. Peter says, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Verse 12 says, All the multitudes kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Verse 13, After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. Verses 15, 16, 17, and 18 is quoted out of the Old Testament in many different places, but basically out of Amos. And he says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. For what reason? Verse 17, in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, he says in verse 19, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles but that we write to them that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Verse 22 says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They were sent this letter by them. Here's the letter, verse 23. The apostles and the brethren, who are elders, to the brethren in Antioch in Syria and Sicilia, who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we have given no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. It seems good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barabbas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same thing by the word of mouth. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Abstain from the things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So then when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered this letter And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the believers with a lengthy message. And after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren 
in peace to those who had sent them out. It seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. When they were told what to do, if you will note, it wasn't a long list. There wasn't a lot of do's and don'ts. Just simply ask them to restrain, restrain from eating anything with blood or anything that would be strangled. Restrain yourselves from fornication and chasing after idols. The people rejoiced when they heard that news. I think we need to think about what do we ask people to do within the church? What burdens do we lay upon you and me so that we can be a church that really honors the Lord? I think we can learn a lesson from these guys. Let's pray and ask them to teach us. Father, please open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. I think there's a a wonderful and very precious lesson to be learned from what was um, placed upon the Gentiles who came to believe and trust in you, Father, through uh, your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we may, may should learn a great lesson from this, what we do to the people who come to this church or any church, what we teach and the do's and the don'ts that we lay upon people. Father, let's learn the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul teaches it well. Now, Father, please move the one that gives the message aside. Please uh, hide that person that gives the message, namely myself, so that we might just concentrate on your word, the things that were written to us, so that we might by the grace of God Almighty, hear from your heart to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verse 12 is interesting. The ringing endorsement that that silenced the crowd was the miracles that were done by Barnabas and Paul. They stood there in awe, silenced by the miracles that were done. The miracles that were done, as we've learned over and over again, were purely a confirmation that God was working and speaking through the person who did the miracle. Folks, just as the Word of God ought to silence doubters today, you and I ought to have a a grasp of the Word of God so as to silence those who don't believe. Now, granted, we're not going to silence everybody to a fact that, oh, they're going to say, oh, wow, why didn't I think of that and fall on their faces and accept the Lord? But you and I ought to have an understanding of the Word of God in such a way so as to be able to, to share with that person the things of Christ so that, as the Bible teaches, that, that the word of the Lord would go into a person's heart and not return void, not return without accomplishing what God wants it to do, wants to do with it. it. It's not your or my cleverness that will change a person's heart. It will be the word of God. Look, watch what happens. In spite of these undeniable miracles 
that Barnabas did, that Paul did, that Peter did, so as to verify what they were saying, James, when James got up to speak, he turned them to the Word of God. He turned them to the prophets of old to ultimately prove that there was no need for a Gentile to be circumcised so as to be saved. That God has been calling Gentiles all along and will continue to call them until the millennium. And that's what he, he says here in essence in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. He says with this, look at verse 15. With this, the words of the prophets, they agree. In other words, the miracles that were done, fine and dandy. But the word of God is what will penetrate a heart. By the way, that should be to us here at the Rock Community Church. The way we evaluate all truth. Each of us here have certain beliefs, um, certain circumstances, certain experiences that drew us closer to our Lord. And some of those beliefs or experiences or circumstances that you or I have had, the tendency will be, if you don't, if you're not careful, is to measure others by and through your experience. What you went through, they ought to go through. If they go through it, they're going to be as much in love with the Lord as you are. Be careful. It is common for believers to think that their experience, their conviction of faith is true and should be the norm. Therefore, you should do it too. And ultimately, what matters in your life and in my life is what does the Word of God say about the issue that you and I are dealing with? What does God say? And so James quotes the Old Testament prophets to make his point about the Gentiles. Now, what James says from verses 13 to verse 29, and what they wrote, they decided, let's send the Gentiles a letter. Let's let them know what we truly expect of them. Now, James, as you probably or, or might know, was our Lord's half-brother. He became a great leader within the church. He, he wrote the book of James. Earlier, James, along with our Lord's family, Jesus Christ's family, did not believe in him. They thought, literally, he was out of his mind at one time. In the book of John, the seventh chapter, the fifth verse, it says not even his brothers were believing in Jesus Christ. So he had to go through that. His family rejected him and didn't believe in what he was saying. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says his own people, namely his own family, heard of what he was doing, and they were saying, he's lost his senses. They were thinking that Jesus went off on the deep end. But now, here, here now, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, James, the one who at one time didn't believe, now believes. He now agrees with what his half-brother, no, now his Savior, Jesus Christ, was saying. He also agrees with Peter. 
He is saying we are all in unity about this. We all believe the same thing. The Gentiles do not need to be circumcised to be saved. Salvation comes purely by faith. And so he says in verse 15, not only do I agree with what my half-brother, the Savior, our Savior said, Jesus, I also agree, he says, with what Peter says. He says, not only us, but the prophets, verse 15, All the prophets agree as well. They all agree that the Gentiles come to faith just as we came to faith. We meaning the Jews. Look what James says in verse 14. He says concerning Peter. He says, Simon, Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. And so verses 15 to 18, as James reads out of Old Testament Scripture, states that God, long ago, through the prophets, predicted that the Gentiles were going to be saved. What James was doing, look at verse 17 again, the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, all the Gentiles who are called by my name. James is reassuring the Jewish audience that is listening to him that including the Gentiles into the church does not and will not stop God's plan for Israel. That's kind of where they were afraid. They were frightened, as I mentioned last week, that when the Gentiles came, they would lose the traditions of their heritage. They would lose all the things that they had from the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so James is reassuring them that when the Gentiles are included in the church, it's not going to stop God's plan for the Jews. In fact, what he said by verses 15, 16, 17, and 18 is that God's plan has always included the Jews and the Gentiles, and he is saying that you, the Jews are to be the messengers of God's word to the Gentiles. Now, can you find the book of Zechariah? Zechariah, the 8th chapter. If not, just take it. It's somewhere there in the Old Testament. The book of Zechariah. Boy, am I glad I wrote it down. You getting there? All right, if you can't find it, just listen. Find it later. Zechariah chapter 8. Look at verses 20 to 23. The prophet of old says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. In other words, people are going to come to Jerusalem from far and wide. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. The Lord even says, I will go also. So it says in verse 22, Many people and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus, verse 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, in other words, in the days that are going to come, ten men from all the nations, in other words, all the nations means the Gentiles, ten there is 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 kind of 
agreed with within the commentaries to mean a whole number. In other words, all of the Gentiles, all of the, old, the other nations, they will come and will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you. We have heard that God is with you. And so from, from old, the Jews were to be the messengers unto the nations of the world of, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some of them have lost that as their mission. They've lost it. They denied the Messiah. They've gone off. So now you and I, we, we are to be that messenger unto the world in which we are to reach, to tell people about the goodness of Christ. Back, please, to Acts chapter 15, verse 19. So the apostles, along with James, write, James says, it is, verse 19, it is my judgment, this is my judgment, writing to the Gentiles, that we do not trouble you. We do not trouble those of you who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Without mentioning the issue of circumcision, because that's what it all started about. But remember I told you, don't be misled. The issue wasn't circumcision. The issue was ritualism. Works. Doing something else so as to find favor with God. And that's what the, Jude- that's what the Judaizers, that's what the people from uh, Judea were trying to infiltrate into the church in Antioch. You've got to do more to be saved. Until you're circumcised. According to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And so James and the apostles, without mentioning circumcision in this letter, rule that he says we. When he says we there, he is referring to the leaders who were Jewish. We, he says, should not trouble. In other words, we shouldn't make it difficult for you to come to Christ. The word not trouble in, in, in the Greek is we should not be an, an annoyance to you. We shouldn't bother you. Coming to Christ, folks, ought to be a movement within our hearts by faith. And there shouldn't be a lot of hoops that you and I need to jump through so that we can know that we are saved, that we are people of God. So he says, we don't want to trouble you. Those of you who are turning to God. He is saying for the Gentiles to become Christians, to join the church, to come to faith, that circumcision that was talked about, it's not necessary. In fact, there is very little that is necessary outside of faith. Faith in Christ. Just as we trusted, so you trust. Just as you trusted, so we trust. And so the circumcision requirement, as we read in verse 1 and also in verse 5, the rejection of the Gentiles needing to become Jews first, that's no more an issue. They wrote it down in a letter. I kind of took a sidestep on this. I thought to myself, you know, today some churches, some denominations, they want to lay heavy burdens upon the people that come to the church. Here's a bunch of do's and don'ts within this church. And by placing a number of do's and don'ts upon the new Christians who have come and putting them on their shoulders, as you can read, they don't do that here. 
the rules, if you want to call them, that they sent in this letter reflected the law of Moses. Look again at verse 21. They write, Since he, in other words, since Moses is read in the synagogue every Sabbath, this is what I think you ought to do, they're saying. Verse 29, look at verse 29. Kind of says it the most clearly. I want you to abstain from things sacrificed to idols. In other words, in that time, the Gentiles offered food to different idols, different what they called small g gods. Well, they offered this food. When they offered it, they would take the food off of the altar, take it to the, the, the local butcher shop and sell it. And then they would eat the food that was offered to idols. The Jews thought that was terrible. Can't do that. Paul writes of it in 1 Corinthians. Also, he says, I want you to refrain from blood. Also, refrain from things that are strangled. Those were Old Testament dietary laws set down from Moses. And it says in verse 29, want to have you abstain from fornication. Some pagan Gentile gods were worshipped through the act of sexual intercourse. Was All it was was a brothel. These are the laws. If, he says, in verse 29, if you keep yourself free from these things, you'll do well. Farewell. That's it. That's it. That's all. Basically what they were saying there is just as the Jews were not to trouble the Gentiles, making them be circumcised and join the Jewish faith first, otherwise they can't be saved. So he was saying, for you Gentiles, don't upset the Jews by breaking the law of Moses. Abstain from idols and eating blood or anything that was strangled or from fornication. Abstain from those things. There is much more. Again, like circumcision, there's more than meets the eye in what James and the apostles wrote to the Gentiles. What they were writing, and you're going to see this clearly in a second, is that the law of love, the law of unity, the law of liberty, the law of freedom within the family of God is to be at work within every church. And we have to go to 1 Corinthians to see what they were saying when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 9 and 10. What is taking place here is there was a sense in which the Jews needed to be patient with these new Gentile believers who were not familiar with the Old Testament laws and rituals. On the other hand, on the other hand, just as the Jews needed to be patient, so the Gentiles needed to be sensitive to the Jews, careful not to offend them. In other words, they were to take care of the lesser mature brother and sister in Christ. Not causing anybody to stumble in their walk with Christ. Let's take a look at some of the lessons that Paul teaches to the church in Corinth. 
1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes, Take care. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, to the person who is not as mature as you are in Christ. Be careful that you don't cause someone through your liberty to stumble by what you you can do. It doesn't, doesn't hurt your conscience. Be careful that you don't cause someone to stumble because of your liberty, of your maturity. Look at verse 13, same chapter. Therefore, Paul says, if food causes my brother to stumble, in other words, meat, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Do you sense the commitment that you and I are to have with one another within the church? We're to live our lives so as to help the family of God grow and mature in their faith. And Paul is putting, um, I don't want to say burden. He is putting a responsibility upon those of us who are more mature for those who are weaker within the family of God. Let me show you more. Look at chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says this about love, unity, freedom, liberty within the church through his own life. And how he will discipline his own self so as to help others. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box, he says, in such a way as not beating the air. Many have said, by the way, in commentators, that, that Paul, even though he wasn't a big guy, loved athletes, loved athletics, would go to the, the games and watch all the games. He loved how the athletes would train, and he would use their examples of how they trained so as to share with the family of God how we ought to be the same, how we ought to buffet our body, discipline our bodies. Look what he says. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Meaning that Paul has a purpose in his walk with Christ. Look, he says in verse 27, I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Look now at chapter 10. Look at verses 31 through 33. Paul is talking about the same issues that are kind of being laid down here in, first, in Acts chapter 15, he is explaining to the church at Corinth because they were out of whack. You can't study the book of 1 Corinthians and, and get a lot of doctrinal ideas because he is trying to help that church. It's way out of whack. He says here in, in chapter 10, verse 31, 32, and 33, whether then, he says, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Verse 32, key. Give no offense either to a Jew or a Greek or a Gentile or to the church of God. In other words, what you do, be careful that you don't make someone else stumble. Whether they be a Jew or a Greek, someone within the family of God. He says in verse 33, this is why I love Paul so much. 
just as I also please all men in all things. He says, I don't seek my own profit, but the profit of the many. Why? Why, Paul? Why do you live like that? Look at the rest of verse 33. So that they may be saved. That's his, that was his purpose in life. The commitment that Paul places on being a Christian, for Paul, church, his faith wasn't just some uh, once-a-week practice. You know, come on Saturday night, I'm through. I'm through for the week. I'm, I'm done now. I don't have to worry anymore. I've done God my favor. I've, I've come to church. No, Paul saw his faith as a life work. He saw his faith as a lifestyle. Can't you sense how serious he is by what he says? Now, on your way back to the book of Acts. No, in fact, go to Philippians chapter 2. and We're going to close there. We won't need to go back to the book of Acts. Folks, until you and I begin to live our lives in this fashion, until we start serving the Lord with the gifts that He has so graciously given to us and grow and mature in our faith, until we do that, until we discipline our own bodies, doing what might profit another person more than it might profit ourselves, we'll never see the blessings that Paul writes of here. This is why I believe Paul wrote Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. I don't do a wedding without quoting this verse. I've done so many weddings that now I've put in this verse to, to memory. Now I'll probably forget it. So I'm going to look. If I get started, I'll be right. Verse 2. Do nothing from selfishness nor empty conceit. But with humility of mind, do what? Regard the other person as more important yourself. For those of you that are married here tonight, I ask you, is that not a great verse for marriage? Husbands, if you consider your wife as more important than you do your own self, you got a great marriage started. Wives, if you consider your husband as more important than you do your own self, you got a great marriage started. Within the family of God, if we consider the other person as more important than we do our own selves, we've got a wonderful church going. He says in verse 4, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but look out for... Be aware of the interests of one another. That's what church ought to be. That should be the essence of church. That we consider the other person as more important. And so Paul says, here's what I've done with myself. I've disciplined myself. I've buffeted my body. I box in such a way, he says, not just swinging. He says, I'm careful. I box in such a way as not without aim. In other words, I've got a plan for what I'm trying to do with my life. And his plan was to reach the family of God with the things of God so that your faith would grow more, so that he might win people to Christ. If you and I, if we can catch that vision of living our lives not for ourselves, but for the other person, we've got a pretty good church going. 
I sense that we have that here already. I love, I love, I love you. I say it over and over again, and I love this church. I love what I see happening here. You see, ultimately, the church was to be a place where we'd watch out and care for one another. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because God knows that that world out there is not going to take care of us. And for some of you here tonight, even within your own family, it's hard to find peace. And so by the grace of God, what we need to be here at this church, when people come here, like we have Dave dance, when they come to park here, just to lead them into his parking place, just to maybe break the tension of what is going on in their lives so that maybe a smile will go on their face as they come into the sanctuary of God. We should be um, a refuge for those that are going through difficulty. You know what? You and I don't know. You and I don't know what the person we're sitting alongside of more than likely is going through. They might need a smile today. They might need a a God bless you today. They might need someone to say, is there anything I can do for you? Everything all right? Church ought to be that place that we're a refuge for one another, to comfort one another. Therefore, Paul is saying to us, through this, the Word of God, lay down the laws. This is the laws of the Gentiles, but it's only so that they won't upset the Jews. And the Jews, you don't ask the Gentiles to be circumcised. Don't you upset them. There aren't a lot of do's and don'ts here. What there is within the family of God is caring for one another. Disciplining yourself so that you might be an encouragement to that other person. And if need be, if need be, so that they won't stumble, you won't do what normally you can do. When Kay and I went to uh, Europe, (laughs) we thought, we're not going to see a soul that knows us. Let's just relax. Let's just relax. And we were walking through a train station, station, and from the behind we heard, Pastor John, is that you? <laughs> I think God did that so that we wouldn't relax so much that we would forget Him and not continue to try to discipline ourselves to walk with Christ no matter where we are. Within these four walls, we need each other. Some of you here are going through trials, deep waters, even maybe in your own family. When you go home, there's no like, you can relax. You know, there's still some tension. This needs to be a place where we dance. This needs to be a place where we find refuge for one another, where we're not judged, where we're just comforted in our faith. For that to really take place, each of us has to grow up. Each of us needs to discipline ourselves so that we will not be a stumbling block to those who are younger in their faith. Father, please, let us be a church that that uses the gifts that you have so graciously given to us, mature in our faith, so that we will be disciplined as believers in you, trusting in you, being able to use the word of God to lead people to Christ like Paul did, And then, Father, let us be a church that is a refuge for those that are going through difficulties. That we may be a a place of comfort. 
that when people come into these four walls, they don't have to feel like they've got to perform. That they can just relax. Help us, Father, to be that place to so many different people. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you folks more than I can tell you. Thank you so much.